Well, if you would again, uh, take out your Bible and let's turn to Genesis chapter 26. And we will start in verse 34. And we will read through chapter 27 and verse 46. This is a lot. We're going to read it together. And and somewhat there's a, well, there's a very good reason for it, uh, which will, I think, become apparent as we go along here. Uh, So Genesis, starting in in chapter 26, in verse 34. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemuth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know when the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food, such as I love, and bring it to me, so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it. Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats, so that I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat, so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother. And his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. When Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands, and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near, that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and felt him, and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him, because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, Bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. 
So he brought it near to him, and he ate. And he brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is, on the smell, is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. My people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, Who are you? He answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully. And he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to you for to him for servants. And with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his yoke from your neck. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she went, sent, and called Jacob her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our God remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this reading of your word. We pray now, God, that you would give us ears to hear 
as the word is preached. Be with this your servant. May we come to understand and apply these truths. Uh, May the name of our Savior Jesus be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The followers of Jesus are called to have an eternal perspective. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As Christians, that is, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have an eternal hope which is beyond this present world. We live in light of God's promises. The Old Testament saints did as well. Abraham had been given promises by God, which had been inherited by Isaac. And then Jacob was chosen of God to inherit those promises. But even as they were chosen of God, we note, even as we've read, that the covenant family was dysfunctional. For instance, Isaac preferred his older son because he found joy in the transient things of this world. He loved food. He loved the food which Esau brought more than he loved obedience. And he trusted in his own senses over the Spirit of God. Rebecca trusted in the promises of God, yet she was afraid that the fulfillment of those promises was left to her own hands. And so she acts to ensure that the blessings of inheritance would go to Jacob, just as God had promised they would. Rebecca was unwilling to trust that God would fulfill his own promises. And this we're reminded again that the providences of God are not the enemy of his promises. Jacob enacted a plan to lie to his father and thus steal for himself the blessings of his father, again, not trusting that God would accomplish his own will. And then Esau himself, well, he despised the promises of God. Though on one level we may be tempted to feel sorry for him, He was responsible for his own sinful attitudes, even as he was not the chosen seed. So all this dysfunction, all of this sin brought conflict into the family. There was conflict between Isaac and Rebekah. There was conflict between Jacob and Esau. And all these family conflicts are powered by greed, jealousy, deception, desires for control. All of these things actually seem to put the covenant promises of God at risk. In our passage, we see the tensions begin to mount as Isaac plans to secretly bless Esau, contrary to what had been revealed by God. Two nations are in your womb. And two people from within you shall be divided. The one from the, shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Isaac knew this, and yet secretly he wanted to bless Esau instead. Isaac was determined to bless his favored son despite God's revealed will. Now, of course, Rebecca overhears this, and she forms a scheme of her own. 
to deceive Isaac and to ensure that the blessing goes to her favored son, Jacob. And so she took matters into her own hands instead of living by faith. When Jacob comes, Isaac suspects his true identity, but he grants the blessing anyway, trusting in his failing senses that this was in fact Esau. And Esau shows up, it seems, a moment too late. And thus does not receive his blessing, but instead receives something which really is more like a curse. With the result being that Esau hated Jacob and sought to kill him. Which then leads to Rebekah helping Jacob escape his brother's murderous hand. All throughout this, we see, too, the character of the patriarch, Isaac, who is not leading his family well. He trusted his own senses. He trusted in transient things. He schemed to accomplish his own purposes instead of the purposes of God. God had secured Jacob to be the heir of promise. The nation and the promise of offspring was to come through him. And there was nothing that anyone could do to derail that because God's will is always accomplished. Now in this passage, which as we read is is quite long, there is a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts as it were. Uh, But I want want you to note that this entire episode of family conflict and intrigue is framed within a broader theme of conflict. Interestingly enough, it is framed by the conflict between Isaac and Rebekah and the wives of Esau. We can note this in the last verses of chapter 26, where we read that the wives of Esau made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. And then again, at the end of chapter 27, we read this, Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women like these, one of these women of the land, what good will my life be to me? The framing of this episode in this way gives greater credence to the threats to God's promises, at least in the mind of Rebekah. And it in some degree explains why she does what she does. Esau was ungodly. Esau had ungodly and troublesome wives who will plunge the family into greater ruin. The wives made life difficult for Isaac and Rebekah. So Esau is faithless, and he has proven himself not to be worthy of the promises anyway. Remember, he, he sold his birthright for a bowl of lentils. So he's faithless. His wives are faithless. He has a faithless family. So in Rebecca's mind, she needs to ensure that the blessings would go to Jacob, who himself must not take wives from among this Hittite people. Now this does, of course, not excuse Rebecca for her actions, but helps us to understand her thinking, why she fails to trust in God's promises. Rebecca then acts the part of her father-in-law in seeking a wife for her son from among their own people, not from Canaan. These Hittite wives, uh, though, help drive the narrative and explain the fear and the conflict which is at root of what happens. Now, there's a lot of time which has flown by. 
uh, in all in this narrative. Isaac is now, it says, an old man. Uh, we'll note too, much of his life is blanked. We don't get a lot of information about Isaac. Moses doesn't tell us much. But at this point, Isaac's eyes are dim such that he's blind. So you know, he's a man who has trusted his senses. One of his senses is gone. He has, he's blind, not able to see. In some respects, his physical blindness matches something of his spiritual blindness. He cannot see or perhaps refuses to see God's purposes. And yet it was this blindness that ironically enough leads to him being deceived and properly bestowing the blessing on Jacob, the one he should have been blessing all along. Something of an irony there. Isaac calls his firstborn son Esau to himself. He asks him to go out on a hunt to bring back game and to make for him delicious food. Again, Isaac is led by temporal things. We'll see this even as he questions Jacob's identity. He relies on his senses, his touch, his taste, smell, even as he is blind and cannot see, and yet he ignores the one thing that he should have been listening to, and that is his hearing. Isaac wants Esau to hunt food and or to hunt and bring food because he intended to secretly bless him, which is clearly against God's will as given to Rebekah while the, the twins were in the womb. Isaac is seeking to thwart God's intention and grant the family blessing, that is, bestowing the covenant promises on his favored son and not the one that God had chosen. But we read also that even as Isaac is scheming, Rebekah is listening. Note how Isaac fails to hear, but Rebekah does not. She's listening. She overhears Isaac's scheme with Esau and knows that she needs to do something. Well, with Esau away hunting, Rebekah could, could pull the strings, as it were. So she instructs Jacob as to what was to be done. You know, twice she tells him to obey her. Obey me, she says to him, and do what she commands. The language used here is typically that of a superior to an inferior. Jacob was to go to the flock. She was to, he was to go bring two good young goats. And she was going to prepare from them the delicious food that his father loves. You note how that's said over and over again, how much he loves his food. Now, how do we judge Rebecca in this matter? On one hand, she understands the promises of God better than her husband seemed to understand God's promises. The one who held the office of the heir of the promise of Abraham. She saw the blessing should probably go to Jacob, despite him not being the oldest son, for it had been decreed that the older would serve the younger. In this way, can we not say that she's acting by faith? At the same time, though, she devises a scheme to deceive her husband. Again, the rightful heir whose duty it was to grant this blessing. It was not her place to go against his will in this. 
In fact, isn't it to walk by the flesh and not by the Spirit to allow God's work, to work out His his will in His own way? Are are we supposed to just go in and say, well, you know, this is really what God wants. I'm going to make it right for Him. I, I know better, somehow, maybe, than God. In this sense, Rebecca ought to have implored her husband. She ought to have prayed for her husband. She ought to have prayed for God's will to be done. That God would work out the situation which had become upside down. Sinning to accomplish God's will is to deny God's sovereignty and power. The Christian doesn't sin at the same time as doing God's will. This is a contradiction, and we cannot force the hand of God. One commentator put it this way regarding Rebecca. Her spiritual values are sound, but her method is deplorable. Rebecca's scheming demonstrates that though she believed God's promises, she thought it was up to her to accomplish them. It is true, of course, that God used this episode to accomplish His will. This proves, again, God's use of secondary causes, but does not excuse the actions which Rebekah took. For his part, even Jacob was unsure of the plan. He and his brother are very different. Esau is a very hairy man. He, a very smooth man. Now notice that Jacob's objections were not to the morality of the plan. He doesn't say, well, you know, Mom, I'm not sure this is a good idea because this is wrong. We're lying. No, his objections is on the feasibility of the plan. His problem is, I might get found out. Instead of blessing, he was afraid that he would bring a curse upon himself. So Jacob sees the risks of the plot if it is discovered which would result in the worst of all fates for himself, his father's curse. Which is, by the way, what he would deserve for misleading the blind, according to Deuteronomy 27, 18. His mother's response, though, is this. Let your curse be upon me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, bring them to me. So Rebekah vows to suffer the curse in his place. She is willing to stake her life on her conviction that the oracle had been given that the older would serve the younger. Though no curse comes her way, she does seem to pay a price. You'll note ominously that she disappears from the narrative after this. Even her death is not mentioned in the scriptures, though the death of her nurse is recorded in chapter 35. She's not mentioned again, really, until chapter 49, where it just sort of, matter-of-factly, suggests that she had an honorable burial. But other than that, she disappears after this. Rebecca was willing to take on the threat of a curse. Her only wish, though, was that Jacob would listen to her instruction. And so he does. Jacob did as he was instructed. He brought the choice goats to his mother, and she prepared the delicious food such that as his father loved. Again, the language of food. His father loved food. He liked to have his senses tickled. It is highlights again. There's a highlight again and again in this passage that Isaac was led by his senses, particularly his taste buds. 
She then takes the clothing of Esau, which it notes were in her house, and dresses Jacob in them and uses the skins of the goats to give him a hairy feel, the back of his hand and his neck. And with all these things in place, along with the food in hand, Jacob would be able to avoid detection and then perpetuate the lie. And so Jacob goes to his father. Verse, verse 18. Addressing him like this. My father... Now this can contrast with uh, Esau's insincere flattery when he arrives later. Isaac asks him who he is. Jacob blatantly lies. says, I am Esau, your son, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up, eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But notice that Jacob uses the term firstborn, which is a major theme of the text, amplifying his deceit. He doesn't simply say, well, I'm Esau. Now Isaac then questions how it is that he returns so quickly. And Jacob's response is, because the Lord your God granted me success. Jacob compounds his deceit with blasphemy, including God in his deceit. Now, of course, Isaac is suspicious. Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Isaac is not convinced at first. By feeling who it is that is speaking, Isaac hopes to discern the truth. And so Jacob comes near to his father and is felt. And Isaac remarks, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. The scriptures comment that Isaac did not recognize him. He heard Jacob. He felt Esau. Now the scriptures hearing is often used as the sense of truth. Romans 17, faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. Isaac ignored what he heard. He heard the truth and he ignored it. Isaac went with what he felt, not with what he heard and knew to be true. His senses had failed him. Even as his spiritual senses had been dulled over the years. And thus he does not recognize the truth. But he was being tricked by Jacob into giving his blessing, which he had intended to give to Esau. Nevertheless, Isaac is still unsettled. He doesn't recognize, and yet he's unsettled. He, said, he asked this question, Are you really my son Esau? It's almost like Isaac knew. Jacob again affirms his lie. Now any possible explanation that someone could come up with that Jacob was simply a savvy negotiator is now obliterated by this terse question and answer. Jacob is an outright liar. And Isaac, now satisfied, wants to have the appetite of his belly satisfied. And so he asked for the food to be brought to him. And he ate and he drank. Once he's finished, he asked his son to come and to kiss him. Now this may have been part of the ritual, but in some sense, this is also the traitor's kiss. This is much like Judas's kiss of Christ. Isaac was being deceived. 
And as Jacob comes near, Isaac is able to smell the scent of Esau, the hunter of the field. And so he blesses him, and remark, remarking that the Lord had blessed him. Look at the end of verse 27. See, the smell of my son is as of the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. You'll note that the blessing upon Jacob is threefold. First, you have the description of Jacob, that he will re- what he will receive, and a description of his relations. Isaac begins by saying, Ah, the smell of my son. The smell of a field. There's, there's rich irony here, isn't there? It is not the field that has been blessed by the Lord, but rather Jacob was taking it from Esau by deception. Rebekah is the one who had prepared this food. Isaac employs the name of the Lord in his blessing just as Jacob had invoked it in his lie. And here's what he is to receive. The land. The land was to be blessed with an abundance of food and drink. The dew of heaven, which is mentioned, that is the moisture which comes off of the Mediterranean Sea. This was important for the irrigation of crops. And the fatness of the earth is the richness that the earth provides. Literally, it's the oil of the earth. And so this is an image which paired with dew continues the same thought. The provision here is grain and wine. Again, these two things paired together provide the image of a banquet. The Lord is providing a banquet. Grain, the bread, wine, the fruit of the vine. The land will provide Jacob and his progeny after him a great feast. The people of God will feast. And the third part of the blessing is Jacob's relations. Nations will serve and bow down to him. This, is anticip- this anticipated the nation of Israel, or, but more to the point, the coming of the Messiah through that nation. All the nations of the earth will bow down to the King of Kings. The blessings of universal domination fall upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the great King which is spoken of. Philippians 2, 9-11 Therefore God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so blessing Jacob, Isaac was speaking properly as a prophet. He was looking forward to the seed of the woman who would come, that same seed who in the garden was said to crush the serpent's head. And again, just as the oracle from the Lord to Rebekah, her other sons will bow down to him. The older will indeed serve the younger. And all the descendants of Esau would submit to the sons of Jacob. This is not to suggest that Rebekah and Isaac had any other sons beside these twins. Rather, was in view are their relatives, those who would come after them, the nations which would come through both of them. 
And finally, there's the curses and blessings respectively based on how others would treat him. Those who would honor the nation of Israel would be blessed. And those who would curse her would themselves be cursed. This plays out in the history of the nation. In Egypt, Babylon, among the Philistines, Edom, and on and on and on. But also in respect to Christ. For those who are in Christ are blessed. And those who are outside of the kingdom are under a curse. Almost immediately after Isaac finishes blessing Jacob... When Jacob has hardly even left the tent, Esau comes from in from his hunt. He also prepared delicious food, and he brought it to his father, and he comes in using buttery and over-the-top language. Look at verse 31. Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. But his father responds, Who are you? What a sad, tragic irony. Isaac's senses fail him once again. Where he thought he heard Jacob's voice before, but now he doesn't even recognize Esau's voice. The response is emphatic. I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And Isaac's reaction is visceral. He begins to tremble violently. If you are Esau, then who came and hunted game and brought it to me? Who is this that I have blessed? Indeed, I have blessed him. Although Isaac had the wrong son in view, he had blessed him. He had exercised faith that God would accomplish what he had planned, and indeed, God will. God's will is being accomplished. Isaac understood this. The blessing had gone to the man of God's choosing. And this blessing was irrevocable. Because the blessing was from God, not just from Isaac. Isaac had mediated the divine blessing from God. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Bless me, even me, my father. Esau's reaction was loud and bitter. He immediately recognizes what has taken place, crying out, Bless me, even me, my father. Esau had begun to wail, and he began to plead with Isaac that he may be given something, anything, anything like a blessing. Please, father. One commentator suggested that these were the screams of one who had been greatly violated. The writer of Hebrews says that when Esau desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Isaac's response was to inform him that Jacob had come deceitfully, and he had come and taken his blessing. God had used human sin to bring about his purposes. Nevertheless, Jacob's deceit will have consequences even for himself, particularly as he himself will be deceived later by his own father-in-law, Laban. Esau is upset. 
But he refuses to accept any culpability on his own part. He says, Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now, behold, he has taken away my blessing. Jacob, he says, had gotten the better of him twice. Although Esau does not seem to appreciate the fact that the birthright and the blessing are intertwined events. He was already rejected because he himself rejected it. Esau despised his birthright. He had sold it for a bowl of lentils. Esau had already disinherited himself. In reality, neither son deserved, really, the blessing. Yet God will graciously bestow his blessing on whom he wills. Jacob wasn't his only source of irritation, though. Esau turns also to his father. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Don't you have something for me? Isaac relates the blessing that he had given to Jacob, and then he ends by saying, What then can it do for you, my son? I have nothing for you. Despite the fact that God had elected Jacob, Isaac had intended to give everything to Esau to leave nothing for Jacob. God had turned it all upside down such that, ironically enough, all Isaac had to give the son he loved was an anti-blessing. He had nothing for him. Through the, through the tears in consternation of Esau, who desired even the barest of crumbs from his father, Isaac gave him this curse. Perhaps, or behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless you shall break his yoke from your neck. So Esau has denied the covenant promises. He's denied dominion over his brother. And he's denied the goodness of the land. He will live by the sword. He will be a servant of his brother, eventually growing restless, seeking to rebel against him. And this rebellion is fulfilled in 2 Kings chapter 8. When Eden revolted against the rule of Judah, thus violating the blessing, or validating rather, the blessing of Jacob. The result of Jacob's treachery is that Esau hated him. Esau's not just mildly irritated by his brother. He hates him. He loathes his existence. And when their father is dead and the time of mourning had passed, then he said, I will kill him. Now Rebekah heard about this and thus warned her younger son to flee. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away. Now again, Rebekah's plan for Jacob is to reside far away. and He'll be there for 20 years, 20 years of hard labor. Nevertheless, she recognized that Esau's anger can only last so long, and so she thought that she would send word to him once things here had settled down. She was unwilling that she should lose her husband and her favored son. Rebecca, though, is not a prophetess. For even as Jacob left, 
she never does send word. Likely, she dies during Jacob's absence. And so we never hear anything from her again. Jacob was not to return because of his mother, but because, like his grandfather, Abraham, he was called by God. The whole scene now ends with the last frame of Esau's difficult Hittite wives. Again, this gives good reason for Rebekah to send him away. She could not stand the women of the land. She could not bear to go on with her life if her favorite son were to marry one of these Canaanite women. So he sent away. But again, ironically enough, it seems she never sees him again. Isaac relied on his senses, which failed him. Or rather... He failed to heed the one sense that he should have, his hearing. Rebekah relied on her own wit. Jacob relied on his lies. Although each of these are covenant members, believers will see them in heaven, each also falls short in their trust in the Lord. Beloved, our hope and our rest as Christians is in the covenant promises of God. His promise that He would save us through the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. His promise to be with us even to the end of the age. The promise of the Holy Spirit who dwells in believers, enabling us to die to sin and to live to righteousness. Our hope is not found in the things of this world. Our hope is not found in getting the right political party elected. Our hope is not found in our guns. Our hope is not found in our money. Our hope is not found in any of these things. These things might be good and in and of themselves, but don't hear what I'm not saying. God certainly can give us good gifts, but this is not where our hope is found. It was not wrong for Isaac to enjoy good food. Good food and drink are, after all, good gifts from God. But when we rely on the things of the world, instead of on Christ, then we begin to dull our spiritual senses. The Christian is to walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. We're to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Ultimately, we find our rest in the Lord, looking to that which is eternal, the kingdom, the glory of God, the new heavens and new earth which is to come. And so encourage one another in the Lord. Rest in God's covenant promises now and eternally. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder that we, in many respects, are like this dysfunctional family. We are like Isaac and Rebekah and Jacob. We fall short of your glory. We sin. We seek to fulfill what we think is your will by our own means. God, help us to trust in you. Help us to not think that, the, that, that your providence in our life is somehow the enemy of the promises that you've made. Help us to trust you. Help us to walk with you all our days. May we rest in you, we pray, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.